the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Silicon Valley Business Connections, brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce, where diversity and opportunity are one. From education to employment, entrepreneurship to innovation. This program is your weekly connection to the latest trends and opportunities taking place all across Silicon Valley. Host Carl Davis Jr. talks to the rock stars of Silicon Valley and offers you engaging interviews and insights from local, regional, and internationally acclaimed business leaders, entrepreneurs, and community leaders to help you stay connected. Now, here's your host, Carl Davis Jr. Hi, I'm Carl Davis Jr., and welcome to Silicon Valley Business Connections. I'm your host, but I'm also the president of the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce, where we help all small businesses start, finance, grow, and even exit their businesses. Our offices are located at 25 North 14th Street, downtown San Jose, or you can reach us via the web at blackchamber.com. In studio with me is my good friend, co-host, and producer, Mr. Carl Big Papa Welsh. How you doing, Carl? I'm doing good. Good morning, good afternoon. How is everybody doing today? Well, we got a very, very special guest today, Congressman Ro Khanna. So, Ro, how are you doing yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, Ro, we want to dive right into it because we have lots of questions to ask you. But uh, before I dive into some of the issues, people would like to know a little bit about you and how you got to where you're at, Ro. So can you briefly show, tell us how you became Congressman Ro Khanna? Sure. Well, I was born in Philadelphia. My parents uh, are immigrants. Uh, they came from India in the 1960s. Uh, my grandfather spent uh, four years in jail with uh, Mahatma Gandhi in the 1940s, and uh, his uh, uh, life uh, inspired me uh, to care about human rights and care about politics. Uh, I had visited him when I was young. And then when I got to uh, college after um, Going to public school in, in outside Philadelphia, I went to University of Chicago, and uh, Barack Obama was running for the state senate. He was a professor there, and I volunteered on his campaign, and that got me interested in public service. Of course, no one would have guessed that uh, <laughs> 12 years later he'd be president of the United States, yeah. uh, but uh, that happened, and I got to then go work for him uh, uh, as his deputy assistant secretary of commerce. Uh, did that for a few years, then wrote a book about uh, the economy, started teaching at Stanford, and then I decided to uh, to run for Congress, lost my first race, and won the second time. Wow. Well, you replaced a guy that, uh, uh, Mike Honda, right, who was really... Uh, I did. Yeah, he was He was really one of our champions. He's a big, uh, big person for small businesses. So I would ask you, uh, how are you going to uh, help small businesses? And, and and do you see the difference when you're looking at legislation and what you're going to vote on, how you differentiate yeah. small businesses from big businesses? Well, I think the challenge in this country is we've had too much concentration of uh, industry, and that's left small towns, it's left communities. Uh, we need uh, to help uh, small businesses. We need to help entrepreneurs. We need to make sure that uh, – 
they are getting uh, the tax uh, benefits and not these large corporations and investors. We need to make sure that they are uh, getting help uh, with uh, federal contracts. Uh, we need to make sure that they're getting help in uh, hiring people and, and paying a good wage. So I, I think most uh, most people, small businesses are the ones that create most jobs, that create good-paying jobs, and that our policy really should be uh, geared towards that. So with that said, how do you feel about the new vote that you guys had uh, with the banking system? Um, is that going to, in your opinion, support a lot of the small businesses with financing and getting support from either large or small community banks? No, I was opposed to the, of the vote. Uh, what the vote does is uh, exempt banks from right. a lot of the Dodd-Frank regulations of having basic uh, capital requirements and being regulated, the right. things that led to the financial crash. Now, some people say I was exempting community banks, but that's just not the case. It's exempting banks up to $250 billion right. for any of <laughs> yes. these uh, regulations. So it was basically a handout to Wall Street because of uh, uh, Wall Street lobbyists. And uh, it's, it's one of the reasons people have such little confidence in Congress. They uh, wonder, are we working for small businesses and people, or are we working for the lobbyists in, on Wall Street? So I voted uh, very strongly uh, no. So what do you land on, um, and, and that's very interesting, I, pre- I can appreciate that. What do you land on regulations, um, either restricting more, more or less on some of the regulations? Well, it depends on what the regulations are. I think we need to have well-crafted regulations, regulations that protect people's privacy, regulations that... Uh, protect safety, but we shouldn't have things that are uh, huge bureaucracies where people have to go to 15 different agencies and they have to worry all their time about getting permitting and things that uh, really hurt uh, small business and and slow small business down. So uh, what I say is we need regulation to protect people, but we we need well-crafted regulation. Yeah. You, uh, you you mentioned the fact that your grandfather um, was a supporter and walked with uh, Gandhi. Is that where maybe you got your support and share your support with Dr. Martin Luther King? Well, I, uh, that, I had the great honor of writing an op-ed with John Lewis. Uh, Mr. Lewis was uh, beaten on Edmund Pettus Bridge, and I went down with him on a pilgrimage, which he leads with members of Congress uh, to Selma uh, to talk about the Civil Rights Movement. And there I found out that Dr. King used to carry two books with him everywhere he went, the Bible and the Gandhi Reader, and these two books are right on his desk. And John Lewis uh, was taught by James Lawson in Tennessee. Uh, James Lawson, who now I think is in L.A. He's in L.A., yeah. uh, Basically uh, taught every week he would have a lot of these students like Mr. Lewis uh, and talk to them about Gandhi. And so I, I, so Mr. Lewis said, bro, you really need to understand the influence Gandhi had on the civil rights movement. Right. And so we wrote this op-ed together about my grandfather who spent four years in jail in, uh, with Gandhi uh, during that time period. And, uh, of course, history comes full circle because it's the civil rights movement that leads to the 1965 Immigration Reform Act. Yeah. And it was the Immigration Reform Act that allowed my parents to come to America. And were it not for Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement, uh, you wouldn't have had the Immigration Act, which allowed Indians and Chinese and people from Asia to immigrate. And so the op-ed talks about the inner links between Gandhi's independence movement and the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah, you're you're a big champion for small business, for especially women's rights and retirement rights. 
Um, and uh, so, so tell us a little bit about uh, your support for gender equality, especially here in, in, in the Bay Area and for some of the tech uh, companies. Well, it should be a no-brainer in our uh, day and age. We need to have equal pay for equal work, and women are still making 77 cents to the dollar. We need greater representation of women in the boards of these tech companies and in executive positions. And people like Sheryl Sandberg have yeah. uh, are great role models. But we need also women of color. You know, I was so excited. A uh, law school classmate of mine, Stacey Abrams. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, won uh, won uh, to be the nominee, and she may become the first ever African American woman, the governor of Georgia. And, I, and, and think about that. We still have never had a woman of color as, as a governor in this country. Yeah. And we probably need many more women of color in, in tech, in, in leadership positions. Uh, here's why this matters when, when you're talking about facial recognition that Amazon just launched. And you mm-hmm. have evidence that the facial recognition works much better for Caucasians and then the ma- mismatch rate is high uh, for people of color. Uh, you need people of diversity in these companies to deal with those issues. Uh, so uh, I'm going to continue to push for gender equity, uh, for racial equity in the uh, digital economy. You, um, I, I was actually in the audience when you spoke with Steve Kerr. Um, and oh, wow. so you your support Newark, on huh? yeah yeah in Newark and so your support for gun gun safety is 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 incredible and I appreciate that. Well, I've been inspired by these kids. I mean, we had, as you know, someone out from Parkland, a mm-hmm. high school student, Matt Dietich, and he uh, knew all the policy. And these young kids, are they understand that it's common sense. We need to make sure that uh, you don't have assault weapons on our streets. You don't have AR-15s. You don't have high-capacity magazines. Uh, and then people need to keep their guns sa- safely. I mean, it, it, this idea that in Santa Fe, that some uh, a young man can take the gun from his father. I mean, the father should have liability insurance and really uh, safeguard those guns. And so there's some common sense laws that would make a big difference. Well, wow, that's really, um, Carl, anything else you have on that? Because that was that was huge. Carl. Well, I mean, it's just, I, 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 it's hard for me to understand, especially now, how, why gun control, and I understand the financing of it, but why gun control is such a, a heavy issue when we can't, fight against NRA when these issues continue to happen. Um, and I know that's a heavy issue. You don't, don't necessarily want to bring the interview down, but that's something that seems to be, should be on the, on the top 10 uh, uh, of, of Congress's uh, issues to deal with. No, it should be probably in the top three. I mean, mm-hmm. our kids are dying and we're not doing anything. And people say, why? And then it's infuriating. But the uh, Republican speaker, Paul Ryan, does not allow it to come for a vote. I mean, it's uh, we're we're just saying let us vote on this, and they are beholden uh, to special interests uh, that don't want any curtailment of people's rights to use guns. No one is saying you're going to go after your guns. People who own guns legally are going to get to keep them. They're going to get to use them. All we're saying is have. Uh, some basic common sense regulation. Wow, that's, uh, you know, that's really good. I think we ought to probably leave it right there because we want to come back to some other things we want to talk to you about. Uh, this has been really wonderful. And we are listening to Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna, from the 17th District here in California. Stay tuned to Silicon Valley Business Connections. This is Silicon Valley Business Connections with Carl Davis Jr. Brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce. 
More information about today's show is available by going to the Chamber's website, blackchamber.com, or call 408-288-8806. Now, back to Silicon Valley Business Connections. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Business Connections. Our guest today is Mr. Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna, here in California, our, our representative. And uh, Carl and you were talking about some very interesting things and how you've been such a champion for gender, you know, equality, and I've always said that, uh, you know, I wanted to f- talk to somebody about being a champion for us to have chambers of commerce go into prisons and actually teach them entrepreneurial skills. So when they come out, they can really assimilate back into society, be very productive and proud folks of their you know, business and take care of their family and maybe even get a chance to vote. Ro, how do you feel about something like that? I think it's a great idea. I mean, we already incarcerate too many people and we need sentencing reform uh, so that we aren't uh, locking up uh, nonviolent individuals in prison. But the second thing is after people are in prison uh, and they've done their time, they deserve a clean start. And what often happens is people get out and then they can't get hired because of the stigma. Uh, People aren't willing to take a chance on them. And then they uh, feel not part of the system and, and, and say, well, we have nothing to lose and maybe go back to a life of crime. Uh, we don't have people to waste in this country. And so what we need to do is provide them with a job uh, in a place where they can get a career, whether it's in uh, a building trade like painting or drywalling or as an electrician or whether it's as a tech uh, entrepreneur or as a tech uh, uh, a person in uh, cybersecurity. We ought to provide them with subsidized wages to get a job and, and training and credentials. And there ought to be a public-private partnership to do that. Yeah. And with, even with that said, you're, uh, another one of your championships, I guess if that's not a word, is, are, is job guarantees uh, just for uh, the average everyday yes. a human being. So speak a little bit about that. Well, it's a fulfillment of uh, FDR and Dr. King's vision. FDR talked about a right to work, a right to work not just in government but on in industry or farms, and we need uh, to give people that right to work. And Dr. King talk, talked about a right uh, to a decent income. Uh, this is uh, something that people need for dignity. You can't have dignity without a right to a, uh, a good-paying job. And so our program, my proposal, would give people uh, a job uh, which would uh, be subsidized by the federal government. They could use it to work in the private sector, work in the union, and they could get a credential at the same time. Uh, it would be a subsidy that would last up to 18 months and could be renewed, uh, and that would then give them a start into a, a career. So I think the government has to do more, a tech has to do more to provide ladders of meaningful work for people left out. Well, let me ask you this. The, the role of government, you know, some people believe in big government, some people believe in small government, and, and I'm a fan of yours, so I'm, I, I have to say that uh, ahead of everything. I should have said it maybe 10 minutes ago, <laughs> uh, but I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of the things you think about. So, so uh, give me two or three of the things that you think will define our government uh, in 2018 and maybe even 2020. Now, you're, re- you're running again in 2018, correct? I am. Okay. I am. I'm, I'll be up for re-election. But I, uh, but I, I, I think the uh, first thing is jobs. We've got to figure out in a time of automation where some jobs are getting eliminated, where robots are doing more, where the size of national income has fallen from 90% of GDP to 55 or 60% of GDP. 
we have to uh, figure out what the government is going to do to give people the opportunities for new types of jobs, new work. That is uh, uh, absolutely critical. Second is wages. Instead, the government needs to make sure that people have enough income to afford to, to, to get a house or rent and, and pay for college and pay for uh, the gas and groceries. And uh, I have said that we need a tax policy that will help the working class, not the tax policy we got by this Republican Congress that's going to help investors and speculators. And finally, I would say is a massive investment in uh, infrastructure. And by infrastructure, I don't just mean the roads and bridges and public transport. I also mean universities and tech institutes across America and, uh, and things that are uh, going to uh, provide training centers, uh, building a, on the human potential of individuals. And the government really is a partner in building that infrastructure. Man, that was really, that was key. Now, you had a book that was one of your favorite books. It says, uh, Why Manufacturing is Still Key to Americans to America's Future. You want to comment a little bit about that, Ro? Sure. I wrote that book after my time in the Obama administration, and it was based on my travels around America. And uh, I uh, saw a lot of great manufacturers across this country, people making fire suits and steel and uh, blenders and have machinery for airplanes. And I said that story needs to be told, and we need to let young people know there are great jobs in manufacturing. We've got to understand what the advanced manufacturing jobs are going to be. The government needs to invest in these jobs, and we need to prepare people for those jobs. Uh, and I, I fundamentally believe we uh, we need to, to do more to, to encourage uh, young people to go into manufacturing. Well, it, um, the litigious part of it, it seems like uh, people are so afraid to manufacture something because, you know, you get sued for anything. So how, <laughs> how, do, you, how do you get around something like that? Well, I don't, I don't think there has to be a tension with uh, being strong in the environment and being uh, a good manufacturer. In fact, I think a lot of the manufacturing now can be done uh, with uh, low carbon emissions and with renewable energy uh, and uh, in a way that is safe for workers. The modern factories uh, don't look uh, dirty and run down, the most sophisticated in, in the world. So uh, I think as we move to modern advanced manufacturing, uh, you're going to see that consistent with worker safety, and you're also going to see it consistent with the environment. There'll be attractive careers for young folks, and they'll be uh, less likely to have uh, lawsuits. <laughs> you mentioned that about young folks, and I know our listeners, you know, it's a, it's a pretty broad range of uh, people who listen to our show. Uh, what would you say to someone young who wanted to get into politics? Like, well, what does the future of politics look like? Because when they watch television and you hear all the pundits talk about what's happening in Washington, it is really hard to see somebody feeling like, man, I'd like to get into that fray because it looks like a fight that, uh, you know, you'd have to be kind of crazy to get into. Oh, I would say don't be cynical. We're going to be the 21st century is going to be America's most uh, amazing century. We're, we've got people from around the world. It's the most diverse nation ever. We've got the most diverse Congress ever. Yes, we've got a last gasp, I would say, of nativism and protectionism, but that's not the future. The future is going to be a multicultural, cultural, multiracial democracy with technology that's going to do extraordinary things, that's going to allow us to communicate around the world, that's going to allow us to you know, have information at our disposal, that's going to allow us to 
uh, have uh, personalized medicine and be able to travel in, 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 in speeds unheard of. Uh, so the future is very, very bright. And uh, we need that next generation that gets that future, that gets the uh, diversity that uh, America is going to celebrate, that gets the technology that's going to define America. We need your voices in politics uh, because the old guard doesn't get it, uh, and they're not uh, the future. Now, you're, you're of uh, Indian heritage, and in the Bay Area, there's a, a lot of Asian, South Asian, East Asian, uh, Indian cultures that are here working for the um, um, you know, tech companies. And how do you see or how can you see someone like the Silicon Valley Black Chambers or all the black chambers? We work with uh, tens of chambers throughout the state with the Hispanic chambers and the Vietnamese business associations and the Indian community. How do you how do you see or what can we do together uh, to help support each other um, uh, on building businesses, on supporting businesses, on financing? Is there a a, uh, a single way of doing this, or is it is it complicated to you? Well, we got to do more uh, together, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote that op-ed with John Lewis, where he said technology rights are the new civil rights. Mm-hmm. And here are the facts: the uh, African American community, frankly, does not have enough in ec- equity in the new digital economy, and uh, we have a responsibility to one expand our imagination on recruiting. We should be recruiting it. Uh, historically black colleges and universities. We need to be diversifying our investments and making sure that we're betting on minority uh, business owners and and tech entrepreneurs. We need to be uh, making sure that we're hiring diverse uh, executives on boards and in executive teams. Uh, So I've been very blunt with uh, uh, my friends uh, in the tech community and saying we all have to do better. Uh, And uh, I think uh, the uh, chamber can help uh, make sure that we're identifying talent, that we're preparing people for these jobs and opportunities, uh, and then making sure that they're getting uh, not passed over or looked over, but really being uh, taken seriously by tech and helping tech do better on this issue. Well, that's, that's incredible. Thank you. So now, I have a political question to ask, and I know you got to run, so this is probably going to be our last question. But you did something I thought was incredible the other day where you stopped or you, you put a bill in to stop uh, us from refueling Saudi-led uh, um, the coalition jet bombers. And I thought that was yeah. incredible based on the support that you wanted to give and, and saving life and, and how we as Americans uh, are going about our foreign um foreign uh, uh, theaters. So explain that really quickly before we go. I, and I, th- I, did, I did think that that was an incredible thing you did. Well, I appreciate Yemen is the biggest humanitarian crisis right now in the modern world. Almost a million people suffering from famine and from cholera. It will be the Rwanda uh, of our time. And most Americans, unfortunately, don't know this, but it's just a, a, a huge humanitarian crisis. Unfortunately, the United States has been complicit in it because we are uh, refueling Saudi planes that are bombing Yemeni civilians. We are, they're using our fuel uh, to kill people in Yemen. And this is just a moral atrocity. It's dragging us in another civil war in Yemen with Iran. Uh, People, I think, are sick of these wars, uh, and they certainly don't want to stand up. They don't want to see us violate human rights. And when I was down there, let me end with this, and uh, in in uh, uh, Montgomery and went to uh, 
Dr. King's home, and then we went to uh, the Mason Temple in Memphis, where Dr. King gave his uh, famous uh, survey of how he's been to the Promised Land. You see that to the end of the end of Dr. King's life, he spoke not just about racial justice in this country, uh, not just about economic justice in this country, but he started to challenge militarism, and he started to speak out about. Uh, against uh, the Vietnam War and for the human rights of people around this world. Uh, and that's really where uh, he started to see the most threats on his life when he became a voice for peace. Wow. Uh, but those of us who are privileged to speak uh, in the United States Congress need to be inspired by leaders like Gandhi and Dr. King and what they stood for in terms of human rights. And our, what we're doing in Yemen is just uh, wrong. Wow. Well, we're going to have to stop it right there, Ro. That was fantastic. We're out of time right now, but uh, for those who want to hear this via podcast, they can go to blackchamber.com, click on radio, and hear the show. You've been listening you. to Silicon Valley Business Connections. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Business Connections with Carl Davis Jr. and brought to you by the Silicon Valley Black Chamber of Commerce. More information about today's show is available by going to the Chamber's website, blackchamber.com. That's blackchamber.com or call 408-288-8806. That's 408-288-8806. Copies of our podcast are available online at blackchamber.com. If you would like to know more about a specific guest or make recommendations for upcoming guests and topics, email info at blackchamber.com. Keeping you connected, Silicon Valley Business Connections. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.